One of the questions that uh, Christians and gen- people in general uh, ask is, does God really care for me? Does he really know what's going on in my life? And is he even concerned? And most of the time, those questions don't come when life is going well. They generally come when life is not going well, when we've lost somebody that we've loved. Maybe we prayed for this person to they recover from a sickness and they haven't, or we're going through a difficult time at work or in a relationship or financially. And we cry out to God and we say, we, we pray, God, deliver me, help me. And God seems silent. And we, we wonder sometimes because there are times, sometimes some of us might say oftentimes, where things don't go right. They don't go well. And we say, God, if you love me, if I'm your child, if I'm trying to live my life for you, why can't life go better for me? And so we doubt God's love and we doubt, doubt God's concern. And that's really kind of the picture, that we, the, the idea that we want to look at, we want to wrestle with a little bit this weekend. Because Isaiah talks about God's love for his people, but his people aren't convinced. In fact, they're questioning whether God loves them at all. So we want to talk about that and we want to apply it to our lives because, because God uses in the book of Isaiah some incredible pictures of his love for us. Pictures that we wouldn't often think of, but they're incredible pictures. So we're going to jump into Isaiah 49. So if you have a Bible, grab a Bible, turn to Isaiah 49. And I want to start reading at verse 5. But we want to talk about how, do, how does God deal with our doubt? Doubt is something that we often go through and we struggle with. And sometimes we feel guilty. We say, well, if I love God, and I, I shouldn't doubt. Or if I believe in Jesus, I shouldn't doubt. But doubt is a, a, a certainly a part of human existence. So let's look at Isaiah and let's see what Isaiah says. We'll talk about the context because there's a little bit of stuff going on behind the scenes. And I'll try to put those pieces together in the puzzle and we'll, we'll kind of draw, draw out what, what is happening here. So Isaiah 49, verse 5. Notice what it says. <clears throat> and now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and to gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servants of the rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of my salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. Say to the captives, Come out and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture and uh, every barren hill. They will neither be hungry nor thirst. <coughs> neither will the desert heat or the sun beat, them down, beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. 
and will turn my mountains into roads, and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswa. Shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on the afflicted ones. But Zion said, notice this is the turning point of the passage right here. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. So what do we have here? In the passage, we have the nation of Israel, and uh, they're not a nation anymore, and they're not in Israel anymore because they're, they're in captivity. They're in Babylon, and they've been taken there because they disobeyed God, and God used the nation of Babylon, at first Assyria and then to Babylon, to punish his people. And uh, they've been in Babylon. They, they, the captivity lasted 70 years, and Isaiah's speaking to them about this whole thing. And he's saying to them, God still loves you even though you're in captivity. God still loves you even though life isn't going well for you. God still cares for you. He has a plan for you. And they're saying, yeah, I don't really see it happening. I don't really believe you. And, and so he uses a phrase. Notice he says in verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. <coughs> so think of Zion as just another way of God describing is nation Israel. So Zion is uh, kind of a, a word for Israel. Zion in itself was where the temple was built. It would represent the heart of Israel. So when he says Zion, he's speaking of the heart of his people, the, the core of his people. And, and the core of his people are saying to him, we don't believe you love us. But as I, And it's, it's understandable because as Isaiah writes these words about restoration, about how they're going to be, you know, the nations are going to see them. They're going to have a new, uh, a new uh, standing among the nations and all these good things are going to happen. Uh, the temple has been destroyed by the Babylonians who sacked the city and knocked down the walls. God had made promises to his peoples in, verse, in verses 5 through 14, but these promises seem empty. They seem void. They seem as if uh, <coughs> they think about, the, about their ruined city. They say, I don't, I don't see God's hand. I don't believe God's for me. Um, but in spite of God's promise of salvation, uh, Israel is saying, we don't feel love. These are all nice promises uh, of loving action. But here's the thing. We do not feel loved. We do not feel like you care. They remember the destruction of Jerusalem. They believe that God has forgotten them. And you can understand their feelings of abandonment. And, and essentially, that's where it, it hits us, isn't it? Life hits us hard. We cry out to God. And for one reason or another, God chooses not to deliver us the way we propose for him to do it. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so what we do is we question God's love, loyalty, concern for us. And uh, we have a time where we say, God, I don't really believe that you love me. I don't really believe that you care for me. They feel, and, and we feel that. We feel like, well, God has left me in my, greatest, in my time of my greatest need. Some Christians have become disappointed, discouraged. They, some people have even walked away from God and said, I don't want anything to do with God. I prayed sincerely. I asked God to do this and he didn't do it. Therefore, I'm done. 
And so this is a very common thing. That, that and You may know family members or friends that have gone through difficult times. And they feel, God never came through for me when I needed him to come through. For whatever, whatever the request was, whatever the, the, the prayer was, uh, God failed me. And God uses the words of Isaiah to reassure Zion, his people, of his love. So how does God reassure them of his love? It's very interesting how he does this. Notice what he says. <clears throat> he says this. Can a mother forget a baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child uh, that she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. That's Isaiah 49, uh, 15. And so the question is, can a mother forget her baby? And the answer is, of course not. No way. Especially a nursing mother. And uh, why is that? Why is that? Well, if, you know, a nursing mother, a mother who is nursing her baby has a physical connection to her baby. It's a very natural, a very, uh, especially if she's breastfeeding her child, uh, a nurse, nursing mother can't possibly forget her baby for a couple of reasons. Number one, her body won't let her because as she produces milk, she becomes more and more uncomfortable and she has to feed the baby. And number two, the baby will cry when the baby's hungry. It's funny how God created babies to do that, right? They cry, I'm hungry, I'm wet, change me, do something, right? And, and essentially, so for those two reasons, a mother can't physically forget her baby. If she's breastfeeding her baby, she can't forget her baby. Secondly, there's, a, there's, an, uh, there's an incredible emotional connection between a mother and, and her nursing child. I think there's probably not another type of a closest, close physical and emotional connection between any other two human beings than uh, the mother and her nursing baby. There's just that, that, that essential, close, special kind of relationship that only a mother shares with her child. Uh, the physical builds uh, on, the, on the emotional. Um, like I said, I don't think there's any emotional relationship on earth like it. So we have the physical connection, we have the emotional connection, and then there's this, this thing where, I don't know, you know, the thing about the mother, uh, a mother and a child, they have an unconditional connection. A mother has an unconditional connection. Now, listen, I know there's exceptions. I know there's bad mothers out there. I know there's, there's all those situations, but let's just put those aside and let's talk about the vast majority of mothers who are good mothers, who have an emotional connection, have a physical connection with their infant child. And uh, there is a bond between a mother and her child that's unconditional. Uh, most mothers, most healthy you know, mothers will love their ch children and their child, especially their nursing child, unconditionally. When you think about it, that's a pretty one-sided relationship, isn't it? Uh, the mother gives and gives and gives, and the baby takes and takes and takes, right? That's, that's the way it is. It just doesn't change. And here's what I've noticed about babies. This is significant. They're pretty selfish. They are absolutely selfish. And they're pretty lazy, too. <laughs> they're, they're demanding. They're, 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 they, you know, my, my uh, little grandson, Malcolm, is about four months old. He didn't do it. We just went to see him this last weekend, uh, what, yesterday. And uh, he didn't 
he didn't help with any of the chores. He didn't feed himself. He didn't take care of himself. He just laid there. I mean, he didn't do anything. And, you know, you, of course, you know, well, he's, you're sitting there going, what, are you an idiot? He's four months old. <laughs> well, the answer to that is, yes, I'm an idiot. <laughs> but the point is, babies are fairly demanding and unable to give anything to anyone for the most part. They might smile. That's one of the best things. They might coo. But essentially, that could be gas too. You never know, right? Um, so the point is, infants give nothing because they have nothing to give. Um, and the nursing mother has made a commitment that she's going to be with that child 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, till that baby can start taking care of itself, right? Uh, the world, the mother, the mother's world revolves around that infant because there's nobody on the planet that really can care for that infant the way a nursing mother can. You know what that's called? That's called sacrifice. That's called unconditional love. And God is saying to Zion, to Israel, I love you more than a nursing mother loves her infant child. I love you more than that. I love you more than that. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible that God would use such a... Uh, a he, he, how could he use such a picture and say, uh, and I love you more than that? Uh, now, it's interesting because if you look at the phrase, it says this. Though your own mother might forget, I will not forget you. In the Hebrew there... Really, if you read it, it literally says, though your mother will forget you. It doesn't say she might forget you. It says she will forget you. There's a day where your mother will forget you. And I'm not talking about bad moms. I'm talking about a time where your mother will forget you. And you say, well, I don't believe there's ever a time, because I have a great mom. I don't believe there's ever a time where my mom will forget me. Yes, she will. Your mom gets older and she gets Alzheimer's. She says, well, who are you? Or your mom passes and dies. She's forgotten you, right? You're forgotten in a sense. But God says, I never forget. There'll never be a time where I will forget you. They'll never be, a, and, and you know, you think about it, sometimes we, we act like we're giving God some great treasure when we give our lives to him, but essentially, we give, not, we give God nothing. The definition of God is he doesn't need anyone or anything. He's God. The point is, God's love is better than a nursing mother for her infant child. God says to his people, I love you more than a nursing mother loves her child. And I'll never forget you. Now, the other thing he says is very interesting too. It's in the timing that he says it. He says to Zion and it says to his people, your walls are ever before me. <clears throat> your walls are ever before me. Now, when God says this to them, they're in Babylon. The walls have been knocked down. There are no walls. <laughs> when he says your walls are ever before me, what he's saying is you are ever before me. Your, 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 your city, Zion, the holy place, you, 
you people are ever before me, though your walls are knocked down. I haven't forgotten. I I haven't lost you. God is saying to Zion to his people, your walls, you, you are ever before me. I will never forget you. See, God is saying to Zion, he's saying to Israel, and he's saying to us, his followers, when life gets hard, when you feel like I've abandoned you, when you feel like you, you've prayed and you've asked for deliverance and it hasn't come for whatever it is, whether it's physical or spiritual or uh, emotional, and you are struggling, uh, he says, I still love you. You give me nothing. It's nothing but take, take, take with you. You are completely selfish. You add nothing to me, but I absolutely love you like a nursing mother loves her child who does exactly the same thing. And I will never forget you. I will love you forever and ever. That will never change because I don't change and I never die. Now here's the question I want to ask you. If you know there's a person of great magnitude like this who pledges this kind of love towards you, a moment-by-moment, forever kind of love, would it change your heart? Would it give you hope? Would you be a different person knowing that there's somebody in the universe, the most important person in the universe that says, I don't just love you, and I don't love you if, I don't love you when, I don't love you because... I love you, period. And I love you more. You find me the, the, the mother that is so bonded to her infant child that she's so committed to their infant child, such a perfect love that she has that she would do anything for this child. Show me that mother and I will tell you I am a million times more in love and concern for you than she is for that child and I'll never forget you. So that's what he says to the nation of Israel. That's what he says to Zion. That's what he says to his people. And that's what he says to you and to me. I love you. But there's more. Because one of the things is, it's one thing to say that you love somebody. It's another thing to demonstrate that you love somebody, right? I mean, words are nice and words are necessary, but there needs to be a point where the rubber meets the road, where you actually demonstrate that you love that person. And so we have the prophetic promise of God, and it's quite amazing. Look at verse 16 of Isaiah 49. He says this, See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. So here's another metaphor. So in that day, it was very common. It was very common for a master to put his name, to engrave his name, to tattoo his name on his servant. And it was the idea that you, servant, belong to me, the master. Now, we do that with cows, right? We do that with with animals. And this is part of my herd. I have a brand. We brand animals. This animal belongs to me, right? That's what we do in America on ranches and farms. So what is he saying? It's very interesting. He is saying something very different. He's not saying, he's not saying, I put my name on you. He's saying, I took your name and put it on me. 
which would make the master the servant of the servant. That's what it meant. Because when you tattooed or when you put your mark on something, it says you own that. What it's saying now is, no, 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 it's exactly the opposite. I, I am your master, but now I have your name on mine. Now, it's an incredible thing. We have another powerful metaphor. But look at how he is tattooed. It's very, it's very interesting. He says, notice it says, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. The Hebrew word for engraved is this idea of taking a hammer with a chisel, a hammer with some sort of uh, spike to engrave the name. It's very specific when you look at how it's used. It's very specific. It's always a hammer. It's always a spike or something along those lines. And God is saying, your name is hammered with a chisel into the palm of my hands. That's how much I love you. I'm not just going to tell you that I love you, but I'm going to show you because your name is chiseled into my hands. You're starting to get a picture now, aren't you? Right? Something's popping up and you're remembering something in the New Testament. Because centuries after Isaiah, there was a man named Thomas. Remember the story about Thomas? He wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared after the resurrection. And he appeared before the disciples and they said... You know, Jesus left, he appeared to them, and he left, and Thomas shows up, and they say, Thomas, the Lord was here, and he says, I don't, I don't believe it. I, I don't believe it. I doubt it. I think Thomas doubted God's love. I think Tom, Thomas doubted their words. And here's the passage. Here's what happens. Because Jesus shows up in John chapter 20, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. I I imagine him pointing to his his hands. Reaching out, reaching out his hand, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said this, because you have seen me and you have believed, you you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and and yet have believed. You know, this is a very interesting passage of Scripture for a couple of reasons. Let me just say what this is saying. Jesus is saying to Thomas, Thomas, it's great that you now see me with, with my hands, with the scars on my hands. With the wounds on my hands, you see those and now you believe. And the wounds in my side, and you believe that. That's great. But blessed are the ones who have never seen them, who will never see the hands, will never see the scar, and, and they still believe. You know who he's talking about there? You and me. You and me. And blessed are you when you believe, having not seen his hands or his side. But he says, Thomas... That's great that you believe now. You know, Jesus says to Thomas, look at my hands. In essence, he's saying, Thomas, this is how much I love you. You're engraved in my hands. 
I don't just say that I love you. I'm engraved with my love for you. God doesn't just tell us he loves us. He demonstrates it. And Paul writes this in Romans chapter 5. He says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Why did he have to die? Because we're sinners and we need a Savior. And he needed to take our sin so that we could be forgiven. And it says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because we cleaned our lives up or we got our lives axed together because we lived a good life. That's not. He basically says he died for us when we didn't deserve it, when we weren't walking towards him, when we, we didn't have a thought about him, when we weren't very nice. God died for sinners like you and for, like me. He gave his life. He demonstrated his love by, by life, love by giving his life. God doesn't just speak about love. He demonstrates love by sending his son. The ultimate proof of God's love was when Jesus fulfilled the promise of Isaiah and was tattooed by Roman nails on the palm of his hands for you and for me. That's why we have that account in Scripture. That's why we have a count that they nailed his hands. He carries the scars of his love for us. When he looks at his scars, the scars of his hands, he sees us. He loves us more than any nursing mother has ever loved a child. Do you know him? Do you understand how much he loves you? Think of the physical scars you have on your body. Some of them, you remember what happened. Like, I have a very little one here on this finger. It's pretty much gone now. But last uh, fall, I hit it as hard as I possibly could have with a hammer. And it it was black and blue for months and months and months. (laughs) It hurt really, really bad. I think I was almost crying when I hit it with a hammer. Uh, but the, the point is, many of you have physical scars, and you remember kind of what that meant. Jesus, when he looks at his scars on his hands, his side, he sees you and me. And he says to us, don't doubt my love. I love you more than a nursing mother loves her child. I love you more than that. I see your walls. I know they're all flat and it's not going the way you plan. And, and life isn't dealing you what you think is right and you feel like I've abandoned you because your city is in ruin. The city of your life is flat and it's in ruin. And you believe, I don't care about you. I see your walls. I understand what you're going to because, see, I experienced it too. I experienced it when I was rejected. I experienced betrayal. I experienced absolute physical pain beyond comprehension. I experienced the weight of the sin of the world. I experienced all of that. I have the scars to show you. I've been tattooed. For you. 
my hands have your name. If you ever wonder, God loves you. Understand, he doesn't just say, I love you. He demonstrates his love. And all you have to do is look at his hands. His hands tell you his love for you. Let me pray with you. Father, uh, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. And the pictures are so vivid and amazing beyond our wildest comprehension. But thank you, you've given us pictures that we can kind of begin to grasp. Thank you, Father, that you love us more than a nursing mother loves her infant child. Thank you that you understand and you see that our wall, you see our walls, the state of the walls of our life, like you saw the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Thank you, Father, that you uh, sent Jesus and he willingly came and he, he bears the scars of the cost of his love, the demonstration of his love. And when he looks at his scars, he sees us. Help these pictures to quell our fear and our doubt like Thomas. Thomas saw them. We don't get to see them. But help us to believe. Because Jesus said we'll be blessed if we believe without seeing. We've been told it's in your word. May we trust it. And may we understand how loved we are. May we not allow our circumstances to determine whether you love us or don't. May your word overrule our feelings, our circumstances, and all that's going on in our lives. And may we always go to the cross. Remember that you willingly demonstrated your love by giving your life for us. We give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.